0: Hey everyone, and welcome back to Fellowship Greenville Student Ministries. It's the week after Easter, and we are looking at a story in the Gospel of John where the disciples found themselves in a similar place celebrating Jesus coming back from the dead. But not all of them. Thomas has doubts, and it seems like he is stuck in his faith. Follow along this week as we navigate the concept of doubt and asking questions, and learn what do we do when we have doubts and also learn how does Jesus handle our doubts. We hope you enjoy this message. And I'd like to welcome you. And thank you so much for joining us here tonight at Fellowship Greenville Students. My name is Matt Denski. I get to serve here at Fellowship as uh, one of the pastors here. And I just want to welcome you. Thank you for being here. Let you know that, that we believe that you are loved here. You have a place to belong here. That's how we feel. And we believe that's how God feels about you as well. So thanks for joining us tonight. This semester we have been in a a really long series, which I think has been so so rich, called "Practicing the Way of Jesus." We are who who said it while I said it. El Grace, way to go! McKay, way to go! Who said it? Eden, way to go! Girls, way to go! All of you. Um, We are taking a break from that series tonight. Uh, Tonight's a little bit of a standalone message, and then next week, fam, Jim Thompson will be in the house. Yeah, he's not here to hear your applause, but if he watches this YouTube, then, then he'll definitely hear it. So Jim Thompson's in the house next week. Some of you guys are like, who's, who's Jimmy T? He's, he's great. He's a great teacher. He's a great... He's good, man. So make sure you come next week. He's going to be continuing our series on practicing the way of Jesus. So let me just go ahead and get this uh, out of the way, because I am certain this will surface at some point. Tommy, what's up, bud? I am certain that... Hey, buddy. Thank you, man. You know, my wife My wife told me the same thing today, and it made me feel really good. <laughs> um, so let me go ahead and get this out of the way, scratch it off the list. Uh, I am married. I know, I know, this, I just, I know. Let me go ahead and, just, let me just go ahead. I'm married. I have kids. I have a family, three kids. I have their names right here on my necklace, close to my heart. All right. Yeah. what's up, JC? Good to see, you, man. Um, so listen, my wife and I this October, we are celebrating it's a biggie. We're celebrating a decade, 10 years. Uh, yes, it's a big one. Uh, I don't know you know how there's like different um, things for different anniversaries. What's the decade? I don't paper? what is What is the de- you know what I'm saying? like some of them are like. Metal, tin, paper, I don't know. Anyway, wood. Anyway, I'll give her a stick. But we are celebrating our 10-year anniversary. Um, but here's what I want you to know, because this may shock you. Some of you guys know this about my story, but here's what I want you to know. I love my, my beautiful bride with all my heart more than anything on this planet. I love my kids. Um, like, the best part of my day is coming home, and the hardest part of my day is leaving home. Like, I just, I love being with my family. But here's what you may not know is that when when Lauren and I were dating, we dated for three. (laughs) Tell me, that's not the joke yet. That's not the joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to wait on it. Uh, Lauren and I dated for three years total. Um, At the two and a half year mark, at the two and a half year mark, I became riddled with doubts and questions. And I was so unsure about this girl that I was dating at two and a half tell me that's not the, no, no, that's not the joke. <laughs> that's not the joke yet. I'll let you know. I'll give you the cue, man. Okay. All right, buddy. Um, at two and a half years, guys, two and a half years of being with this girl. And, and at that point in time, I think I was 25. She was uh, 26, 27. Like, like, yeah, we were a little older. And um, so it was serious. And at two and a half years, I began to doubt and have questions. And I was so unsure. And for the next six months, I basically tanked the entire relationship for six months. Like I, Matt, I was, I, like every night I I would go, I'd hike out into the woods and just pray for hours. I'd build a little fire and I would just, just me and God, like, God, I need help. I need clarity. Would you give me answers? How do I know? Like all these questions of like, how do you know the one is the one? Like all these, you know, questions. Man, I was just riddled with doubt and I was having so many questions, so much so that it began to hurt the relationship with my sweetheart. And for six months, it was like, we didn't break up, but it was pretty much, we weren't, we weren't dating. Like it was a six month period of not talking that much, a lot of questions, trying to figure things out. Like, how do you actually know? Like just all those things. And what I was desiring was certainty. And thankfully, my wife uh, is the most gracious woman on the planet and the most understanding, uh, Woman on the planet, but guys, even like I was even standing at the altar on my wedding day, and I was still like terrified and searching for that uh, certainty and clarity. And I know in your minds, like it's so easy to buy into this Hollywood idea of like, no, when you're hit with love, you will know it. Like, no, there's there's baggage from your past, and there's questions and stuff from your family starts to surface. And all of a sudden, you're like, am I destined to repeat everything I've experienced in my life? And, and you're just searching for clarity and you have doubts. And even on my wedding day, I had doubts. And even in the first year of my marriage, sometimes I would wake up and I would like look at her sleeping in the bed and I'd be like, what have I done? Like, I, I <laughs> it's, too, it's too late now. No, that's not on her. That's on me. Like, it's not because she was like mourning Lauren. It's on me. I just had doubts. And by the way, like, she knows this. We laugh about this. So I'm not telling you guys anything we haven't (laughs) talked about. But I have doubts. I had doubts. And it it was a journey for me of reaching places of navigating my love for her with those doubts. But here's the thing. Here's what I want you guys to know. Because I think it's really easy to be like, oh, well, eventually, though, like, all of those doubts were replaced with certainty and love and affection, <laughs> and you guys have three kids, and they're so be- Yeah, like, we're great, and I would argue we've got a really healthy relationship, but that love didn't begin to exist and thrive simply because the doubts went away. Eventually, I came to a place where loving my bride and having doubts became harmonious instead of contradictory, and I wonder… This is, my, this is my thought tonight. I wonder if there are some people in the room tonight that are experiencing a lot, a lot of doubts and a lot of questions, not about your boyfriend or girlfriend, though maybe, but you can laugh at that one, Tommy. That is a good one. Uh, but maybe you have doubts about God. God. About the existence of God, or you have questions about some, some beliefs within the Bible or some things you've heard within the church that you've been carrying that you, you've brought in tonight and you don't really know what to do with. Like, how do you vocalize doubts? Is that even appropriate? Are you allowed to do that? Because I've experienced this with a lot of students. Like, students have this taboo idea about doubts. You're never allowed to have doubts, you can't question anything. And so then, like, those conversations and questions never happen. And so, what do you do with questions about God? The, the question for tonight is, do you have doubts about God, about your relationship with God, about who God is, about understanding something, about something you heard one time? And I would be willing to bet you do. And if you're sitting in the room tonight and you're like, no, I don't have any current doubts, man, good for you, but at some point you either have or you will. Like This is just part of our journey in the faith. And when I was younger and dating my bride, what I desired was certainty. I just wanted the absence of all doubts, and I was convinced that would bring me the peace I was seeking. And as I shared, what I learned was it actually wasn't the absence of doubts, but beginning to embrace the questions and beginning to... Uh, embrace the mystery of how will this all work, loving her hand in hand. And I think in our relationship with God, we do something similar where it's like, if I, just, if I had certainty, if I didn't have any questions, any doubts, then I'd be all in, but I do, so I'm not. It's like, what if there's a reality where we can have questions about our faith and about God and about how all this works and those questions actually somehow create a stronger faith, not a weaker faith. What if doubt was not the opposite of faith? What if we began to think about certainty as the opposite of faith? Because I think faith lends itself and allows for mystery and questions and even doubts. And so what if tonight we we looked at a story of how Jesus engages someone who is having some serious doubts and maybe felt some freedom tonight to maybe verbalize for the first time some questions we have. Or take those things to God in prayer? Or instead of seeking certainty, 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 what if we began to embrace mystery and learn how to have faith in the midst of that? So let's have that conversation tonight. Let's look. We just had Easter. We just celebrated Easter, which, um, yeah, yay, is, is like our pinnacle holiday in our faith. Uh, Paul says in the, in the book of Corinthians that if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then our entire faith is meaningless. It's all in vain. So like as great as the story of Jesus is and his death on the cross and all of that, if the resurrection didn't happen, none of that really matters. It's just another person claiming to be God who died. So the resurrection is everything. It's like the eggs are in the basket. Not trying to make an Easter pun there, but all the eggs are in the basket. The resurrection is everything. And we just celebrated it. And for most of us, it's pretty normal holiday. We dress up in pastels or some like weird tie bow tie fancy clothes thing we never wear except once a year and girls put on like cool dresses that have pockets that you don't even see until their hands are in them and it's just really cool and we have these rituals and we bake hams and hunt eggs and eat chocolate rabbits and just all this stuff right but one of the one of the things about that holiday that we celebrate is this audacious and radical claim that a man who was dead came back from the dead after being dead for three days. And we celebrate that. And it, it, it's pretty wild if you pause to think like that is what this all rotates around, revolves around that. There's a story in the Bible where Jesus has resurrected from the dead. He's, he's back from the dead, what we call Easter. And then shortly after this, his, his friends, his disciples, his boys are meeting together in a room. They're kind of locked away in a room. And one of them is having some serious doubts. He goes by the name of Thomas. In fact, we, t- we tend to call him Doubting Thomas. He's got this bad rap because he had some doubts. But like Easter has just happened and he's having doubts. And so if you're in the room tonight and you've had doubts or you have doubts, you have questions. How does this all work? Do I really believe that? What do I do with this thought? Do I take that to someone? Would I get in trouble for saying that? How do I know? Are there any safe people to talk to that would hear me instead of just judge me? Like, what do we do with our doubts? Let's take a look at this story. But here's what I want you to know. I, th- I do think doubts will come. Um, There's there this guy, he's, he's kind of a famous intellectualist. His name's C.S. Lewis. He's written a lot of uh, books. Uh, Chronicles of Narnia uh, is one of those series. And he has this quote. C.S. Lewis says this, believe in God and you will face hours when it seems obvious that this material world uh, is the only reality. In other words, it just seems like there's nothing beyond this life, even for those who believe in God. Disbelieve in God, and you must face hours when it seems like this material world seems to shout at you that this is not all. In other words, like, for those of us who believe in God, there will be moments where we've got to come face-to-face with our doubts. Like, man, is there more than this life? But even those who don't believe in God will come face-to-face f- with this thought, like, there's got to be more to this life. Doubts are a part of our life. The question is not, will you have them, but what do you do with them? How do you handle your doubts? And furthermore, how does Jesus handle your doubts? So, for the sake of tonight, let me define doubt this way. That way we know what we're talking about. Everyone's on the same page. Doubt is what happens to us when an experience or question enters our story that our current worldview cannot make sense of. Like we're trucking along, everything's working, everything's making sense, and then all of a sudden a story or an experience comes along and it's like, I don't have a category for that. I don't know how to process that. I can't make sense of that. I've never heard of that before. This doesn't fit into my worldview. It doesn't fit into my processing center, how I see the world. I don't know what to do with that. And it creates doubts, it creates questions. So in my experience, this is kind of how doubt works. All right, I've got a, a balloon here, okay? Yeah. All right, so I have a, <laughs> I have a balloon here. Uh, I was practicing this at home <laughs> this afternoon, and my kids saw, and that uh, immediately turned in, into a game of blowing up balloons for all my kids. So now I, I feel very ill-prepared for this illustration. But here's the deal. Here's how I typically see doubt being handled by, by people within the church, by students. And over the years of doing student ministry, I have seen so many students have doubts and not know how to talk about doubts. And then years, years later, those things compound and they, their faith is not very healthy down the road because they never dealt with some of those questions. So here's the two responses I see or the two ways of dealing with doubt. So let's just say this balloon, this floppy balloon here, uh, represents you, okay? You are a pink balloon tonight, all right? And you have a question about God. You have, you've got a question about Jesus. Something doesn't make sense to your current worldview. There's no category for it, You have some questions you're scared to ask. What if you get in trouble? What if you get judged? And so you have this doubt. You don't know where to put it. And so it goes in the balloon. Ready? There it is. That's your doubt. Was that good? I don't know. I don't feel like I've got a... (laughs) This is the best illustration Matt has ever done. One breath in the balloon gets an applause. Great. All right. So you have this doubt and you don't know what to do with it. You're scared to talk about it because you've been told, don't have those questions, don't have doubts, believe in God no matter what, just believe what we believe, don't say that, don't say that in church, you'll get in trouble, you'll be judged, so on and so forth, and so there's all this fear to process and talk about our questions, and so you don't do anything with your doubt, you just keep it inside. But the years go on, and you keep having questions, and you've never really processed them, and so you are filled with more and more doubt. Hey, good job, fill in the blank. Okay? Okay? So now you're a sophomore. Look at that. You're getting, you're growing. You're growing. All right. You have more questions, and you don't know what to do with them, and you don't know how to process them, and you become filled with more doubt. Look at you as a junior, man. Eden, what are you doing? Don't worry. Don't worry about it, fam. Eden's like covering her ears up here. So now you're a junior and you're, you're becoming more, more and more exposed to the world. You're hearing different perspectives, different points of views, people who are contradicting Christianity, people who are saying things differently than how you were raised, or pretty compelling ideas that you're like, wow, I've never considered that. I don't have a category for that. What do I do with that? You have questions, but you don't vocalize them. They go inside the balloon, and they keep building up. All right, this is getting kind of big. Eden, don't it's it's good man all right cool 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 all right so now you're a senior you have all this bottled up pressure all the all these questions you've never asked all these things you're like what do I do with that how do I reconcile my faith I'm having questions I'm having doubts but I feel like I'll get in trouble I feel like I'm not supposed to say these things I've been told just believe what we believe just inherit the thing don't ask questions right and so you get even more questions and more doubts and you don't know what to do with them Now that is honestly about as full as I can make it without popping it. Here's what tends to happen. This is one of two. I'm going to show you the other illustration here in a minute. Here's what tends to happen. Tommy, it's funny you say that, man. Okay? I've got a I've got a knife here, okay? Here <gasps> It's getting wild. <laughs> Here's what tends to happen. You have all these questions, you have doubts. You've been told doubts are wrong, doubts are sinful. You feel wrong for having them. Now you have shame because you have them. You would have even more shame if you tried to talk about them. You don't know who to talk about them with because if you talk about them to your friends, are you leading them astray from their faith? If you talk about them to people who don't know God, are you painting a bad picture of what faith looks like because you're a Christian and you have doubts? So you go to college or you go to the next chapter of life or you do whatever and you have all this stuff inside of you. And the slightest, slightest experience or question or opposition or a compelling argument against Christianity or against Jesus or whatever comes along, I am going to pop it now, comes along and with the slightest, oh! <laughs> with the slightest, <laughs> it's crazy. That really hurt the ears there, huh? Wow. The slightest the slightest touch, <laughs> you guys. I've never seen a bloom pop. Before. <laughs> the slightest touch, the slightest prick, can make the whole thing pop. So, guys, hear me, hear me. I, I've been in, in the world of student ministry for s- seventeen years now. Yeah, it's a long time. Wow. I, it's a, been a long time. I'm a dinosaur. <laughs> So, but here's, here's what I want you to know. I, I can't tell you the amount of students over the years who have grown up in Christian homes, oriented around the gospel, came to church, came to youth group, played carrot in a box. <laughs> we didn't have that back in the day. Um, played the games, went on the retreats, went to Epic, did the mission trips, whatever, but internally they had all this pressure building up that I never knew because they never talked about it. They were never honest with their doubts. And then they got to college and and they had so many questions. They knew what they believed, but not why they believed it. There was no bridge of application. It never became real for them. They were just told to believe it, believe it, believe it, but they never got to process it. They never felt safe at home to process it or to ask questions. And they get to college and someone comes along and says, pop, and their whole faith is like blown away. I think oftentimes the Bible is way more comfortable with doubts than we are. Because if you read the Bible, there are people all over the place who are having questions. How does this work? Who is Jesus? I thought I knew, but now I don't. Is he really who he says he is? Was I wrong? Is this right? There there are questions everywhere. But if we internalize them and just allow the pressure to build and never talk about them, I promise you, eventually that will pop, and it creates a lot of destruction. That's one way of dealing with her doubts. This is the other. This is the other extreme, all right? There is a healthy way. It's the middle way. This is the other extreme. Ready? I got to blow this up. All right, I'm not going to pop this one. I'm not going to pop this one. So here's what happens. Same deal. We have all this pressure, we have all these questions, we have all these doubts built up. And instead of something coming along and just putting, you know, like some, uh, something sharp against us or whatever, we just decide to detach ourselves from the very thing that was holding us secure. Oh, that would have been, that would have been so sick. Home run catch. We decide to detach ourselves from the very thing that was holding us secure. So the other extreme that I see in students is not, is not um, some external thing devastating their faith, but an internal decision. They decide to remove themselves from the hand of Jesus. It's a reaction. They just go wild. It's like, all right, I'm just going crazy, and they're just all over the place living in wild ways because they had all this pressure and they didn't know what to do with it. That's the other extreme. We allow something to destroy it, or we tend to destroy it ourselves. When we have all this bottled up pressure. But there is a healthy path. Notice the different color. Your man thinks through the illustrations, okay? The healthy path is doubts come along, questions come along, and it builds up the pressure. And then we come before God and we're honest with that question, knowing that we'll be received with grace and compassion, and we begin to process that question with God, not removing ourselves from the very thing that holds us firm, but also not getting so big that an external pressure won't bust us. We process. <laughs> this sounds terrible, but we, we release the pressure. We talk to God. We're honest about our doubts, and then more doubts come. It's like, wow, as a sophomore, I didn't even see that coming, and And so we talk to God or, and, both and, we talk to people of God. We process those questions with people and we relieve the pressure and so on and so forth. As they come, we relieve the pressure through open conversation with God and with people. The problem is we've been trained. You're not supposed to have doubts because doubt is the opposite of faith. And I'm trying to convey to you tonight, I don't think that's right. I think certainty is the opposite of faith. When we just have all the answers and, and no questions. Questions tend to create stronger faith if we know how to use them. When we release the pressure and pursue God in the midst. Remember, we're not holding out for certainty. We're figuring out how faith and mystery can go hand in hand, creating stronger faith. Same way I've learned how to love my wife in the midst of those questions. I don't have the doubts anymore because, you know, your girl's <laughs> great, but, uh, but I did have those doubts. So let's read this passage together about this this guy who is famous for his doubting. His name's Thomas. This is in the Gospel of uh, John, chapter 20. We're going to look at verse 24, five verses, 24 through 29. Jesus has died. He's come back from the dead. Jesus has revealed himself to uh, some of the disciples, but not Thomas. Every single disciple, every single friend of his, but not Thomas, So imagine your friend group has an inside joke. You're the only one who's not in on it. You know that feeling. Everybody has seen the resurrected Jesus except Thomas. And so he has questions. Verse 24, now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them, the other disciples, when Jesus came, when he revealed himself to them. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. We saw him. He, he was real. He's back from the dead. It's a radical claim. Like, we can understand, we, we've been so indoctrinated with the resurrection as we've grown up, as little kids, that this doesn't seem as audacious of a claim to us. Imagine hearing it for the first time. No, 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 no. He's back from the dead. Thomas is having a hard time with this. Thomas said to them, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas has a pretty extreme and graphic (laughs) approach here. If I don't dig my finger around in the nail hole, then I won't believe. Thomas is craving what? He's he's craving certainty. Even his friends telling him is not enough. You ever feel that way? Like everybody in the world can tell you this one thing, but unless you believe it, it doesn't matter. And Thomas is there. All of his friends, he's been rolling with them for years now, and they're telling him they're trustworthy. It's not like they're strangers. They are trustworthy friends, and they're like, no, dude, but you weren't there. We were. He was there. He's back. I don't believe it no but he like why we're telling you it's real i know but i haven't experienced it yet thomas wants the firsthand experience and the certainty so if you're like familiar with the enneagram you're like i love the gram like thomas would be a five probably like i want all the facts all the data and i want certainty how does it all work (laughs) no room for mystery And his friends are telling him, like, bro, but we're telling you for certain, it doesn't matter what you say, I need to see it. I need to feel it. I need to experience it. Can you relate to that? Have you ever been there with your questions? So Thomas has taken a pretty strong stance here. If I don't investigate the scars, the wounds of Jesus, I'm not going to believe it. I could even see someone that looks like him. But if I don't put my finger in the scars and my hand in the wound, I will not believe it. I need a thorough investigation. I need certainty. Verse 26, look at the time stamp. Eight days later, more than a week has passed. And his, have you ever been like, have you ever spent a lot of time with someone who's just like contradicting everything that everyone else believes in your friend group? Like, could you imagine how miserable it would have been to be with Thomas? For this week? Like, guys, what do you think? Should we, like, have a worship night tonight? We can worship Jesus? Yo, he's dead. No, but Thomas, he's not. You know, he's, he is. You guys worship. Do your little worship thing. I'm just going to chill in the corner, man. Okay, guys, should we have, like, a prayer time? Like, pray, like pray to Jesus? No, Jesus is dead. But Thomas, he's not. No, I mean, you guys can do you Have your little fancy prayer time, but I'm not in. Like, every single day for that week, Thomas was in doubt. He was in questions. He was in questioning. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them this time. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve but believe. And Thomas answered him, "My Lord and my God." Jesus said to him, "Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed." So there's a lot of going on in this passage. I want to try to answer two main questions tonight. One is, how do we handle our own doubts? And the second is, how does Jesus handle our doubts? What can we learn from this passage? So let's, go, let, let's look at that first question. How do we handle our doubts? When we have questions, when we're taking the hard line that Thomas has taken, like it doesn't matter what you believe, it doesn't matter what anyone else says, oh you had a great experience, good for you. I haven't, I have questions and I need certainty. How do we handle our own doubts? I think there's three ways that we see Thomas do it and I would encourage us to engage in this process in a healthy way. The first thing that Thomas does with his doubts, is he handles them honestly. So I, I know this doesn't seem like that you know prolific as an idea, but think about our balloon illustration again. Doubts come along. All this pressure builds up. Most of the time, instead of dealing with these honestly, we just keep them bottled up. And if we're really honest, we try to hide them. I do I love Jesus, yeah, he's so good. We have all this stuff. Thomas gets a bad rap for doubting, but he's asking genuine questions. He's he's honestly wrestling with his doubts. And what does that dialogue with God do? It begins to relieve that pressure. Thomas has a bad rap for doubting, but if you read through the Gospels, Thomas is bold in his faith. There are multiple times where it's Thomas who's initiating the faith of the disciples. Thomas is the one saying, we are willing to die with this man. Thomas is the one asking how to follow Jesus into heaven once he goes. It is Thomas who is the initiator of some great faith movements. He just has questions, and he's honest about them. I know he gets a bad rap, but honestly, I feel like if we were honest— All that pressure that tends to build up would begin to dissipate because we would learn how to ask good questions and not silence a potential dialogue with God or people of God. Again, over the years, I have seen massive amounts of students walk away from their faith because they have a balloon filled with questions that they're too scared to ask or by that point, they're too bitter to ask. They know what they believe but not why they believe it and it's just so fragile. When we begin to have honest dialogue, I'm not talking aggressive dialogue. I don't mean like, God's not real, this whole thing sucks. I'm not talking like aggressive. I just mean ask your questions. Like, Matt, how do, you, how do you know? How do you have faith in God over the long haul? Like, there are things happening in our world that make me question, what do you do with the problem of evil? How would God allow suffering on this earth and things like wars and hunger and, and poverty? Like, how can you reconcile faith and the reality of our world? Or, like, Matt, what if I feel like my sin is too big to forgive? Like, how do you embrace forgiveness? I don't understand how that works because I feel like I'm just messed up. How do I know God's truly forgiven me? How do I even know God is real? Like, because science tends to point to some different things. Like, why would I buy into this ideology? Like, there are questions, and I think really, really good conversations that can be had. They're often not had out of fear or shame or pride or whatever. Thomas is honest with his doubts. I mean, he's a little extreme. Like, I need to put my finger in his scars, or I'll never believe. But he's honest about him. He's honest about where he's at. And I think one of the ways for us to handle our doubt is to be honest second secondly thomas handles his doubts patiently look at the time stamp 8 days later jesus comes to thomas have you ever prayed to god and then waited have you ever prayed and felt like God does not hear me? God does not want to answer my prayer? I feel like I'm talking to the ceiling. How do I know he's even listening? Have you ever just had such a strong desire to get something from God, to get a movement, to get an experience, to, 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 to get clarity, to, to get something, and God just has you in the waiting period? Have you ever been there? Honestly, it kind of creates more doubts. But Jesus seems to view waiting as one of the things that actually strengthens our faith. Let me give you an example. Are you guys familiar with, uh, like, Where's Waldo? Okay. Stop. Eden, stop that. No, I'm not. <laughs> All right. So we've got, like, these search and find books at home. They're not as complex as Where's Waldo. They're a little bit more age-appropriate. <clears throat> but sometimes I'll do these search and find books uh, with my two boys, and my oldest is six, the middle is, is three and a half. And so the six-year-old obviously can pick out things way quicker and way easier than the three and a half-year-old, right? And also he's seen these pages like a thousand times. Like he, uh, literally he could like close his eyes and probably point to what I'm asking him. And so I've had to get like really creative, like, and, you know, find things that the book doesn't tell you to find, right? So we'll be looking at the books and it'll be Trent's turn, my oldest. And I'll ask Trent, you know, where's such and such? And he'll find it. And then my middle, Gray, I'll say, all right, Gray, now I need you to find the blue star. And Gray, like gray will be looking at, he's so intense. I mean, he'll be looking at the page <laughs> all over the place. I mean, it's like literally right now. He's just like looking everywhere. I mean, poor guy. And my oldest is right there next to him, and he'll make this comment. You know what's about to come? He'll say, I, I know where it is. Any older siblings in the house? Yeah, you guys. You guys. He'll say, oh, I I know where it is. And it's like, man, I'm trying to be gracious and celebrate him and not take away his excitement. I'm like, Trent, that's great buddy. But it's Gray's turn, and I want Gray to find it. So about another three seconds will go by. And Trent, I can just see him getting so impatient that Gray can't find the blue star, which is obviously right there. And he'll be like, well, I I see a Gray. It's like, hey, Trent, buddy, that's great. I love that you can see it, but Greg doesn't. Like, let's let him hunt for it, buddy. Another three seconds will go by. It's been a total of like nine seconds now, right? Like (laughs) the waiting period. And Trent just can't take it anymore. And he's like, great. Like it might be like around this section of this page right here. I'm like, Trent, buddy, let him find it. Please let him wrestle with this. And around the 10 seconds, he, he could wait one more. And around 10, it's great. It's like right here, like around, like right here. And, gray, and Gray's like, oh, I see it. And he's like so excited. And I'm like, good job, Gray. Like way to go, buddy. But, uh, but I've had to have conversations with Trent, my oldest, and tell him this. Like, hey, Trent, I love your heart to help. And I love that you want to help your brother succeed. But the best thing for him to actually succeed would be for you not to create a shortcut that he would actually have to wrestle with this page and find it himself. That he would have to be able to look into the chaos of the mess and be able to identify the thing he's looking for. And there are times when we come to God and we are like, yo, my life is a mess and I am looking for something and please help me see it with clarity. And God doesn't do what my oldest son does. Oh, I I got you, here it is. He leaves us in that waiting, allowing us to cling to Him while we are trying to figure this out. God does not shortcut our faith just to make it easier, because easy faith is not a strong faith. God leaves us in the midst of our questions for waiting periods so that we seek Him all the more diligently but he doesn't leave us there forever. As Jesus has shown time and time again, eventually he does show up. That's second. The third thing that I think is a healthy approach here is Thomas uh, deals with his doubts eventually in community, but at first he does not. Eventually he gets with the, the other disciples. Eventually he's with them. But at first, he's not. At first, he's on his own. At first, he's solo. And doubts have that tendency. Doubts have the tendency to make us actually pull away from people. Oh, I have questions. My balloon is getting full. I got to pull away. It's like this weird internalization that we we can't be around other people of God because we just assume none of them have questions and they wouldn't accept me if I have questions. And so we sabotage those relationships before they even get a chance to have that conversation and we pull away from community and then we're left in isolation, which doesn't help our doubts. Doubts are not good in isolation, and so then we try to find people that resonate with our doubts, but by that time, we're a little bit bitter, and so we find community that's oriented around our bitterness, not our questions, and then we begin to gossip and slander and talk badly about all these things that we used to have questions about, but now we're just bitter about. When we pull away from community, it is not good for our questions and our doubts. Eventually, Thomas's friends pull him into the group. Even though he's not He's not believing like they are. I won't believe unless I, he's not believing like they are, but they still invite him into that community because I think they understand community is necessary for processing how we're feeling. If you have questions about God, if you're having doubts about your faith, one of the worst things you could do is assume no one else is having those and pull back from everybody and try to do it alone. Process those things with people that are safe and people that will give you good advice, good wisdom. Now, let's look at how Jesus handles our doubts. How do we handle our doubts? Honestly, patiently, in community. How does Jesus handle our doubts? Is God just in a rage when you have questions about who he is? Does God have a lightning bolt just perched up, ready to go, the second you say it? The sec- I know I can read your thoughts. You know I can read your thoughts. But it's when you say it out loud. Ha! That's when I'm going to strike. Is that how this thing works? Why, Why do we have this idea that God can't handle our questions, doesn't want to handle our questions, even though we see Jesus, people questioning all sorts of things with him, and he's so patient and gracious? How does God handle our doubts? Let's look at Jesus. Go back to the passage. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came. A little bit of mystery there. Jesus just like walked through the walls or something. Jesus came and stood among them. Look at the first words of Jesus. Peace be with you. Is that not an encouraging message for the doubters in the room? Jesus does not step in the room and say, "Mm mm-hmm, Thomas, word's gotten to me, buddy. You got questions? (laughs) Oh, fool, 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 fool. Jesus doesn't shame Thomas. Jesus doesn't express anger. Jesus doesn't have a lightning bolt perched. Jesus doesn't dismiss it. Jesus doesn't make him feel stupid. Jesus doesn't make him feel little. Jesus doesn't make him feel faithless. The first thing Jesus says to this room full of people, including one major doubter, is peace be to you. Have peace. It's okay. Don't overlook the significance of that greeting. This isn't uh, like some Jewish customary greeting I mean, it is, shalom. I like, okay, yes, it is. But, but Jesus could have said, <laughs> let me backtrack that one, it is. But Jesus could have said anything and he chose peace. Peace be to you. Not anger, not shame, not belittling you for having questions. Peace be to you. And then he addresses Thomas. He says, put your finger here And see my hands, showing Thomas his wounds, his scars. You wanted to put your finger in my scars, right? Here they are. So gracious and so patient and so compassionate. And then Jesus was pierced with a spear from a Roman soldier in his side. And Jesus says, hold out your hand and place it in my side. You wanted to investigate that too, right? Like, does this seem like an angry, insecure, fragile God who has no room or allowance at all for our questions or doubts. I feel like this is an incredibly understanding, compassionate, gracious, patient, gentle, and inviting God. You have questions? You needed to see these? Here they are. Here's my wound. Do you have any more questions? Jesus responds to our doubts in this way, I think, every time. He meets us in the midst of our doubts, but he calls us into deeper faith. So so get the significance of this. Jesus doesn't stand far off in some distant place, and he's like, all right, just wrestle with your doubts, and when you've graduated and matured and grown in the faith, I'll be here. I'll always be here. Just come to me when you're ready. He doesn't do that. The amazing thing about Jesus time and time again throughout the gospels is Jesus actually moves forward to the doubter to the person who's struggling with this whole thing. Jesus doesn't stand over there and just expect them to somehow get to him eventually. Jesus meets them in their own context, in the midst of their mess, in the midst of their questions, in the midst of their doubts, in the midst of their life, in the midst of all that pressure inside of that balloon. Jesus comes to them, and I believe Jesus comes to us. He doesn't stand off somewhere and say, work yourself to me, work through this. In a couple years, when you've matured and you've got a stronger faith, I'm sure you'll come back. Jesus pursues the doubter. He meets Thomas where he's at, but he doesn't leave him there. That's the other amazing thing. Like Jesus doesn't just come and throw an arm around him and was like, "It's okay, buddy. Oh, it's okay. This is hard to believe in." He meets him where he's at, but calls him to a deeper faith. He challenges those doubts. So Jesus allows him to investigate. Here's my wounds. Feel them. Investigate them. Do whatever you want. And Thomas responds with with praise and worship. He says, my Lord and my God, in an instant, the greatest doubter becomes the most expressive worshiper. But look at what Jesus says, the tail end of verse 27. Do not disbelieve, but believe. That's all Jesus says to him. Greets him with peace, meets him in his doubts, allows him to investigate, and then challenges his current worldview. Don't disbelieve, but believe. So guys, like the amazing thing about Jesus, and like I'm just blown away by this every time I ponder this and think about this. Sometimes we have this perception of God that he doesn't want anything to do with us when we're in the midst of doubts. We've got to have this perfect faith, all polished up, it can never have questions. And we kind of assume Jesus would just stand there and be like, believe in me, don't doubt, but believe in me. Or the other extreme is we just assume Jesus is like this super ultra tender dude who like never <laughs> challenges or pushes. And he just comes and he's like, oh, it's okay. It's okay, buddy. Don't worry about it. You'll make it through this somehow. Like Jesus is not some hard line, graceless God, but he's also not a softy without truth. Jesus meets Thomas where he's at with compassion and grace allows Thomas to express his doubts and investigate them and his questions, and then challenges Thomas out of them. Don't disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas begins to worship. Do you have doubts? Do you have questions about how all this works? You ever doubt God? You ever just come face to face? You know what I'm saying? Like the Those nights where all you're just up at like 2 a.m., you've binge-watched Netflix for a little bit too long, and you finally decide to turn it off, and all of a sudden you just have this moment of clarity, and you're like, is this real? (laughs) Like, is my faith legit? And you you just have these crystal clear thoughts, and all these questions come floating in your mind, and you have no idea what to do with them. Please, I'm begging you, do not allow them to build, 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 build without ever having a conversation. Because either something will destroy your faith or you will destroy it yourself and remove yourself from the one who holds you secure and just kind of go wild. Deal with your doubts. How, Matt? Honestly, have conversations about them. Patiently, understand there's a waiting game to to gaining clarity in this thing. And mystery is okay in the faith. And then in community, please don't remove yourself from people that can care about you and love you well. Okay, but how does Jesus handle my doubts? He meets you where you're at, and he invites you out. Jesus can move you from having serious questions to worshiping in a heartbeat. And oftentimes what I've found is Jesus helps us worship in the midst of our doubts, not in the absence of them. In fact, if you go to Matthew chapter 28, one of the most famous passages in the whole Bible where Jesus gives his disciples the great commission: go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I've commanded you. I'll be with you to the ends of the age. If you go there and read Matthew 28, it says, His disciples met him, but some doubted. Like, even, even there, there's doubt happening. Like, how is this how is this real? <clears throat> we'll, we will have doubts. We will have questions. It's a week after Easter. This happened pretty soon after Easter. And if you're in the room tonight and you feel like, I don't know how to ask questions. We just celebrated Jesus coming back from the dead. I feel like if I vocalize these things, I must not have faith. I just want you to know. The Bible, the Word of God, Jesus seems to invite us to have questions and have doubts and navigate them with grace and truth and comfort and compassion. It is when we bottle them up and store them aside and pretend like they don't exist and live in shame and react out of fear, that's when it seems to get dangerous. It's when it tends to lead us down some dead-end roads and our faith does not grow. So I'm challenging you and encouraging you to deal with your doubts and navigate your doubts with honesty, not aggression, please hear me, but honesty, with patience, and do it in community, do it with people. and Let Jesus meet you where you're at. Let him hold out his hands, take a look, and then take him up on his challenge to believe. You've got doubts, that's okay, but believe. I'm right here. I think the strongest faiths on the planet are the faiths that have been strengthened by the flames of doubt. Navigating the mystery and coming through the other side, that is a strong faith. Pretending like the questions aren't there, pretending like the mystery doesn't exist, avoiding it altogether, you will not have a fully developed faith. So embrace them. Ask them. Meet Jesus. Let him meet you. Navigate the mystery with faith. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this story uh, with your friend, Thomas, who had a lot of questions. But his questions, I think, are so encouraging and freeing to us in some ways because they help us see that we have permission to ask some questions too and that you don't dismiss us and you don't seem to condemn us. And Jesus, it seems like you meet us with compassion when your your friends here have questions. And so we pray that you would help us navigate those with honesty and patience and do it in the context of community. Jesus, we ask these things in your name. Amen.